Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? You really want to know? It might make you uncomfortable and even sound a little crazy. But if I tell you, you can't go back to sleep. Here's the truth. You're under attack. We all are. Our children, our families, our communities. The saddest part is, they're really successful because we refuse to pay attention. For centuries, even millennia, they've conspired in the shadows and worked behind the scenes and hidden the truth behind cascading waves of lies and distractions. Can we be victorious? The fusion cell. I'll be your warrior guide, retired Green Beret Master Sergeant Jeremy Brown, with former Police Sergeant Jen. Do we have all the answers? Absolutely not. But together, we'll find them. Now, wake up. We've got work to do. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fusion Cell. It's October 4th. 2023, Jeremy Brown's on the line. We survived the FEMA emergency test. So, so far, so good. I didn't even realize I was trying to survive it. <laughs> Did you hear anything um, in the jail there around 2 o'clock, okay. 2.20? I would like to say this about the EAS test. Okay, one, there, there definitely is something up with it because... In my entire life, I've never heard national news coverage of an emergency, uh, an emergency test, right? Yeah. But yet today I did. So I, you know, I get Fox News radio affiliate here in the jail. So the topic of our news breaks, it was all over the news, all over the mainstream news. Now their report said that this is the third national test and that these tests are required to take place every three years um i'm 49 years old and i have never heard of a national emergency broadcast test nor have i experienced another one in the last three years and other inmates came up to me saying hey this is the first one that's ever happened so there's definitely something up with why is this such a big, hairy deal? And I think I might have a little bit of an answer later in the episode because uh, the government is always very good at uh, utilizing fear and intimidation, even if it's subtle. But uh, that's about it. I mean, look, I saw the ESA, the EAS on our direct TV. Uh, on the television screen. However, I didn't actually hear it come across the radio. I could have possibly missed it because maybe I was flushing the toilet. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's about it. I just thought it was interesting that they're claiming this is the third one that's happened and that it's supposed to happen every three years. But uh, I'm pretty aware of certain things, and that's not one of the ones I've, I've ever uh, exhibited. Maybe it has happened, but I don't recall it. I have kind of a funny story. Uh, one of my friends, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to dime out who it is uh, unless he gave me permission. So I'll just tell you that one of my friends um, went out there and tried to get away from, you know, all the people and all the cell phones and everything today. So she, she took a little camping chair out there on a hiking trail, um, took a book. She, you know, 
doesn't have her phone on, so she's doesn't know what time it is, but she sees somebody walking by and she's thinking to herself, well, enough time has probably passed by this point. Um, I'm sure it's already over. So she asked the woman passing by, hey, do you know what time it is? And <laughs> the woman takes her phone out and goes, it's 2 2. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, did she turn into a zombie? <laughs> uh, well, not yet, Jeremy. Oh, not okay. Yet. All right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's not vaccinated. I don't know. <laughs> People have been asking me, uh, should I do something about it? Uh, I kind of am on the side of Clyde Lewis on this, which is it's very likely a test to see what type of command and control penetration they have on the maximum number of remote capable things they could turn off and on at any given time. Mm -hmm. Not very likely meant to do anything like turn you into a zombie. Um, but look, the reality is your phone is a government tracking device and a fascist corporate tracking device. It is the most intricate and penetrating espionage tool ever uh, formed in the history of mankind because the hundreds of millions, if not billions of people that are carrying around their phones are carrying around surveillance tools that were developed with the sole intent purpose of being able to track you. So, yeah. Do with that information what you wish. And I will tell you, the reason why most of the phone systems in foreign countries are so much better than in the United States is because why do you think we built them? Or China. Yeah. Just know that cellular phone systems around the world are built by governments for the purpose of espionage. Are not? Are. Oh, are. Okay. Very much so. Okay. Gotcha. And the fact that you can't take your battery out of your phone, you can thank SOCOM and CIA. Here, I'll tell you a little story. So, back in the day of Afghanistan, in the, in the, in the days of uh, ba removable batteries, <laughs> the bad guys got wind of the fact that the Americans could track their phones and so they started to remove the batteries. But they would also, there was this little device that we discovered that was like a little tiny LED and they would click it on the back of their phones and it would light up whenever their phone signal was activated. Ingenious, right? So it's always spy versus spy, cat and mouse, Criminal and good guys always going against each other. Uh, and so, you know, hey, in order to defeat the enemy's ability to remove their batteries from their phone, thus in disabling the government tracking device, now you can't remove the battery. Great. And we're not going back in time, so I don't and, know how this is going to get any better, but here we are. And don't believe Apple when it tells you that they don't give up the encryption key to the government and that it's secure like the San Bernardino terrorist case. That was a complete episode of military deception. 
Apple totally gave up codes to get into that phone. The government can very easily hack into your phone. They don't need your password or any of this other bull crap. And look, there's wide, widely publicized stories of Apple giving up all their encryption keys to the Chinese government as a requirement to do business in China. So once again, don't believe anything that you hear in the mainstream media. Just know that when you do hear something, I'm not saying that don't listen to the media as selection because you should know what your enemy is saying in order to figure out what it is they're trying to convince you of. But when they're telling you, oh, Apple will not work with law enforcement to unlock the San Bernardino terrorist thing, that is all bullcrap. It was total propaganda, total PR, because would you buy, would you be more likely to buy an Apple or less likely to buy an Apple if you thought that they would just on a whim give over all your data to the government? Well, of course you wouldn't want to think that they would do that. Even though they do it, they lie to you in the media that they don't do it. So, Yep, and we know Liberty Safe is a sellout right. also, so no more Liberty Safes. Yeah, Liberty Safe, uh, funny that they should, uh, they should be forced to change their name now. Yes. Um, but uh, look, this, this is the reality that we live in. We live in a surveillance police state. Um, but all right. So Jen has a, an elaborate agenda for tonight. But before we get started, I want to actually give my co-host some kudos. Because we, earlier, just a couple hours ago, when we threw this, uh, this airplane in flight, uh, threw this airplane together while on flight just a couple hours ago, uh, and I got off and I thought, you know what? Jen is really doing an amazing job of digging into some of these stories. Because, see, we're much like... Silence of the Lambs. Jen is Clarice, and I am Hannibal Lecter, locked in my jail cell. <laughs> and Jen comes to me with stories or headlines or whatever, and I'll say, "Well, look into this. This is what that means. Look into that person. Look over here, right? Just like Agent Clarice in Silence of the Lambs." But Jen was a sergeant in law enforcement. And so in the military, sergeants aren't that high ranking. In fact, they're kind of like the basic NCOs, the first level of NCOs, and then baby corporals. But, but in law enforcement, sergeant is much higher. So I just want to say kudos before I get cut off by the very rude lady. Uh, I want you. to say great job, Jen, and you are definitely uh, much deserving of kudos uh, and your experience has been a great uh, benefit to the audience of the fusion cell. With that said, you better do a good job when I come back. Copy that, sir. Thank you. The caller has hung up. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. All right. Awesome. Yeah, we had a, a really good conversation earlier. I was, it was, uh, that's exactly how it went. When one thing led to another, I started looking up some other things. What about this? Boom, boom, boom. I was I was finding all this stuff and I was like, man, that was great. That was some really good synergy. And I was actually telling my wife right after I was like, man, Jeremy is so smart. <laughs> I, was like, I was reading him this thing. He had me go down this lane. Then I was going down this other one. And I, was, I mean, we were figuring stuff out. It was uh, it was crazy. And, you know, you look down a little bit down farther in the article and it's like, well, um, 
they came to the same conclusion that we were coming through, but actually looking, we actually found all these uh, trails of evidence, if you will. So um, yeah, kudos right back to Jeremy Brown. <laughs> An incarcerated individual at Citrus County, Sorry, Florida. This call is not me. private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as the private number. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this brief, thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Hello, Clary. <laughs> You're just looking for your meal with a side of uh, Chianti. Whatever he was. <laughs> That's all I remember from that. But, um, you know, I actually have that deadhead. Mo I have a lot of like insects and butterflies and stuff like that. And the deadhead moth is actually one I have. And it is fascinating. Let me tell you. Okay. Freak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. See, who's a freak now? Am I Clarice or am I? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Okay, so we have um, Steve Baker. I was originally going to read um, to you the article that he wrote, but instead there's um, an interview between him and Glenn Beck. So that's much easier to listen to uh, than me reading a report. So let's take a listen. Going to YouTube. And we're here program a few times uh and uh he is a um an investigative reporter that has been doing some have been doing some work uh and it's now exposed on theblaze.com he has been working on the january 6th puzzle for a while now and his efforts have been frustrated uh, over and over again by the politics in Washington when he's just trying to find the truth. The story that has just been released this morning, did Pelosi security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial, has wide, wide consequences. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Glenn, I am living proof that a man can live on coffee alone. <laughs> you started this a year ago today. It was one year ago yesterday, yesterday, October 3rd, during the Oath Keepers trial, was the first scent that there was something wrong. Something happened in the trial first thing that morning when the prosecuting, the lead prosecuting attorney, Jeff, Jeffrey Nessler, assistant U.S. attorney, approached the lectern and the bench and said to Judge Ameda, we have a problem. He said, we have a, a rogue attorney that is about to release some FBI 302s. These are interviews of one of the characters in this story that we released this morning. And that if he does that, this is going, these are sealed documents that are not publicly available and we can't have that. And Judge Maida did something that I'd never seen before. And I think, I don't know that any of the media uh, in the media room where I was sitting had ever seen this before. He actually directed the media pool to put out a tweet and threaten this particular attorney and let him know that if he released that, those sealed documents, he would have him held in contempt of court. And right then I went, what are in those documents? So what was in those documents? They're still sealed, but I will tell you that the documents themselves 
were the actual FBI interviews of one of these Capitol Police officers. And the primary problem that the government has with those documents is that the testimony was changed. His testimony about his interaction with the Oath Keepers, which in the first testimony, he revealed to be a positive interaction. If the Oath Keepers lined up between him and the more agitated protesters and assisted him in keeping them off of him mm-hmm. and helping him de-escalate. That was in May of 21, that interview. In August of 21, this officer was brought back in and the testimony was changed into an aggravated, contentious um, event with the Oath Keepers and as well as the creation of a second event to explain the first FBI interview that never happened. So it is it is amazing to me, reading your story, it is so well laid out. Um, however, what makes this different, it's not he said, she said, or he said, he said. No. Um, because you had uh, permission to go into the 14,000 hours uh, of videotape. You knew what you were looking for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in the story, you knew what time it even happened because the testimony was gunshots, yeah. uh, you know, gunfire. Right. And so that marked it at a certain time when they they shot an innocent. So tell me about what you found, what the story was in the the, the testimony and then what you found on the tape. Well, the story in the testimony from special agent, now this is Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus, is that when he heard the gunshots at 243, 244, um, broadcasted over the radio that shots had been fired, that he was down in the tunnels escorting senators towards the uh, Rayburn building to the other Senate uh, right. office buildings. And it's quite, a, it's quite a long distance away from the House chamber where allegedly these shots were fired. He said at that moment at 244, he began turning around and heading back. Well, when we, because we knew what to look for, we immediately went there and we started working our way backwards and we found him in the tunnels at that time. The problem with it is that when he emerged from the Senate building tunnels in the subway system below the Capitol, and by the way, Glenn, these are videos that were never released to the defense attorneys this is- in this trial. This, if if we were living in normal times, the people that had been convicted with any of the testimony in, 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 revolving around these guys, yeah. they would be released. Any other time in American history, they would be released because this is perjury. And somebody set this up. Somebody. And we're working on that trail mm-hmm. as well. Good. But going back to Lazarus, so he emerges and comes back into camera frame on the Capitol TVs with absolute proof of the exact time down to the second of when he emerged back into camera. He even passes under an analog clock in the subway at exactly this moment. And it's at 2.48 p.m. when he finally reaches the other side of the tunnels from the Senate office buildings. And when that happens, the Oath Keeper Officer Dunn encounter is almost already over by then. He's nowhere near it, and he still has a long way to go. And then we were able to triangulate because, you know, he will go out of camera frame for a while. Then he'll enter camera frame again from another camera. Right. And then he's down another hall, and then he enters another hallway. And then he shows up on the Senate side 
And then by the time he reaches the bottom of the stairs that lead up to uh, the rotunda, and it's in a little area that variously called the mini rotunda or the speaker's lobby. Mm -hmm. When he reaches the bottom of those stairs, it's now 2.56.45 p.m. And the Oath Keepers are long gone. Okay, so now let me let me give you the exact verbiage from the testimony in the court case. Lazarus, the guy you've just been talking about, explained that one rioter asked, who are you? Who are you? Then according to the trial transcript, he testified. And, you know, one attempted to, uh, I mean, I had my lanyard on with my ID on it. And one, uh, they were videotaping and one attempted to pull at my ID. And I was kind of like grabbed it back and, and looked to make sure it was still there. And then I saw an opening. So so there's just kind of like I walked fast to get into the office and check on the staff again. He then detailed description of what took place, what Lazarus described as a very antagonistic in three or four times that he passed by these Oath Keepers. Every time I interacted or came by, yes, it was very antagonistic. He said this under oath. Um when he was then shown in court uh, a, a video clip of four Oath Keepers standing in front of Dunn, uh, Lazarus was asked, are these the individuals you observed? Yes, yes. At any point in these three or four interactions in this space, did you observe any sort of anything but antagonistic conversation? No, that's correct. Here's the problem. They were already out of the building. At the time we know him now on camera, we have the videotape. Mm -hmm. the, the Oath Keepers have been gone for almost 10 minutes. It was, it was not quite 10 minutes. It was, but when, you, when you're in the Capitol um, video room viewing this, we can, yeah. we can put multiple cameras up on the screen at the same time. And then we hit one button and it syncs all of those cameras oh my to gosh. the exact timeline. So we're able to watch Lazarus moving through the building in one quadrant of the screen, and then we can watch when the Oath Keepers leave. So as the Oath Keepers leave, and they're walking back out through the rotunda, about to exit through the Columbus doors on the east side, it wasn't until that moment that finally Lazarus reaches that area where in great detail in the trial, and we have the trial transcripts, obviously, in great detail, he describes what he saw, and it just did not happen. So, uh, this was a, an important part of the trial, right? It was a huge part of the trial because the one thing that the government uh, uh, was absolutely intent upon doing was not allowing anything that could be exculpatory or anything that painted the Oath Keepers in a positive light. And this wasn't the only positive interaction that Oath Keepers had with law enforcement that day. Right. You've interviewed uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. Yes. Lieutenant Tarek Johnson used two Oath Keepers, re literally recruited them to help rescue another 16 officers right. out of a dangerous situation. Right. That so, was never allowed in the trial. So, and I, you know, I learned something from the article. Let me see if I can find it here. I, I had no idea... Uh, Oath Keepers, seditious, blah, blah, blah. Federal prosecutors claim while they were inside the Capitol, members of the group were involved in contentious uh, interaction. Uh, I don't know where it is now. But you you talk about the Oath Keepers, how they've never, they've never had to hear that 35,000 dues-paying members 
had more than a decade's worth of spotless record providing disaster relief and security during riots and other large events. They had never once been accused or charged with a crime in thousands of operations. I had no idea. One of the things that the government could not do in that trial is they could not counter that little piece of information. And of course, it didn't matter in front of a D.C. jury. I mean, the D.C. jury, it was a fait accompli for day one in terms of what the outcome of that trial was going to be. But one of the things that the defense did successfully present is the fact that in years and years of disaster relief operations, security details, and all kinds of other times when they actually went and were recruited and hired by minority businesses like in uh, uh, Ferguson, Mm -hmm. uh, like in uh, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and those riots where they were recruited by minority businesses to come help us protect our businesses we were, or the, the defense was rather able to show some of those videos. But the one thing that the government could not prove was that at any time since 2009, when the Oath Keepers were founded, that there had ever been a single time where an Oath Keeper had committed violence in any of those operations or had ever committed a crime or any charges had ever been filed. And when you think the Oath Keepers, you think, oh, they're just really bad. Isn't that remarkable how that has, has been? portrayed and carried by the press. Okay, so there's obviously some sort of conspiracy here because <laughs> these guys, they don't, they're they are both saying the same story, but it seems to switch where one is saying, no, I saw him at the top of the stairs, and the other guy is saying, no, I saw him at the top of the stairs. They couldn't even get their story right. Yeah, it's inexplicable that they, the editor of Harry Dunn's forthcoming book did not check the trial transcripts because when Lazarus, David Lazarus, special agent, Nancy Pelosi's head of security tells his version of events, he says that when he runs to the top of the stairs, that he sees this large imposing figure because Dunn is six, seven, 300 mm-hmm. pounds plus all the gear he had on. And he sees this large opposing, uh, imposing figure in a contentious uh, moment with these oath keepers that were giving him the business. All right. Mm -hmm. And that's his testimony in Dunn's book. He explains that when he ran to the top of that stairs and reached that stairwell landing at the top, that Lazarus was already there and he was being uh, confronted by protesters. Okay. So the questions that we need to have one minute left and what this actually means, I'm afraid Stu and I were talking about it this morning that, um, in any other time, any other time in American history, this case would be thrown out now. They would they would uh, file a charge. They got to throw this case out uh, and it would be done and people would care. I'll pause it right there, Jeremy. OK. Well, we're probably not going to get to the second day because I have a lot of notes here. Okay. <laughs> back. The caller okay. has hung up. Yeah, um, major things happening here. This is a breaking story of uh, perjury that's occurred. Let's see, Leto is saying that she hadn't heard about this before, so I'm going to post here the article, Steve Baker's article that he just wrote. Uh, I'm going to post that down in the comment section. And then there's another article that came out today as well. Uh, And this one's called, and now Steve Friend uh, posted about this one too. So I think it's actually really important. I haven't read through the whole thing yet, but it looks thick. 
It's from Newsweek magazine. It's called Donald Trump followers targeted by FBI as 2024 election nears. Okay, so I'm putting these in the comments so you can check these out later and then label them. Uh, this Newsweek article here. Unknown cause. Here comes Jeremy. An incarcerated individual at Citrus County, Florida. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this free call, press Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Sorry, you got me? Yes. Okay. Press and play. I'm not sure people care. I'm not sure people, I mean, that that's where our justice system is. It only moves because somebody says something, somebody, the, the American people just won't take it. I wonder what the, I wonder what the real fallout of this will be. And you probably have a good idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is next in this? And I know you talk to people in Congress but is this going to move anything in D.C.? I can tell you that not only working with Weaponization Committee investigators on this story, as well as the high-ranking staffers, and I can't get into mm-hmm. specific on-the-record details, that there will be talks about hearings, and we know what hearings result in <laughs> far yeah. too often. But uh, there has to be something next because glenn this is this is literally an existential threat to our republic what is taking place That's in right. our courts right this now this is That's our right. DC. this is our government not getting it wrong no this is our government setting american citizens up withholding evidence that's exculpatory um, <laughs> sentencing them to long sentences and apparently several people are involved in this. This is this is as bad as it gets. Even in one of the specific Oath Keepers cases during his sentencing hearing, this was the Oath Keeper, Ken Harrelson, who you can see in video holding the crowd back from Officer Dunn. I mean, he's literally got his hands extended and he's holding the back, holding them back as they were agitating Protecting. and trying to get it done. Right. And there's four Oath Keepers lined up. With their backs turned to Dunn, he's at the top of the stairwell holding an M4 rifle, and and these guys are holding them back. And in his case, particularly, Judge Maida in his sentencing hearing actually said these words. He said, Mr. Harrelson, I do not believe that you're the man that the government has made you out to be. If I could speak to Maida right now, Judge Maida, I would tell him now we know that he is not the man who the government made him out to be. Have you need to send him home. Have you right. talked to their attorneys yet? The Oath Keepers? I talk attorneys? to them every day. And now that this is out and you're able to prove this, are they going to move? Uh, they're obviously, they're in transition from their trial representation to their different uh, legal teams that are going to be representing right. them in appeal. But these guys are, are uh, hot. They're hot. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and of course, they, you know, they, they, they all know how this was set up. And this is where the next part of this story is going is that, look, we, we know. We know that there was the equivalent of a star chamber set up mm-hmm. and said, how are we going to get these guys? 
And we see the process and the pattern of events of how they led to that, as well as here, absolute proof of the creation and manipulation of testimony and of something that never happened and presented in that trial. This story is a year's worth of a man's life. You must read it by Steve Baker. Did Pelosi security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? It is only part one of a series that Steve is working on, and you'll find it from Blaze Media at theblaze.com. Man, did Glenn Beck get lucky with Steve Baker, right? What a what an awesome journalist with all this information. Um, man, that's great. Jeremy, what are you thinking right now? What am I thinking right now? Uh, well, once again, I'm thinking, why have none of these people talked to me? Because all the people that he's referring to in the case right there that you're listening to, all of those Oath Keepers are the Oath Keepers that I was with. All of those Oath Keepers that the government has lied about uh, elicited false testimony and likely coerced that testimony based on the changing of the original testimony, meaning that the officer did not initially want to say those things of his own uh, his own volition, but was later convinced to say those things. Concerning I was with that group. Yeah, I was approached by the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force to spy on those guys. Those very guys. I have my chat log with Kenny Harrelson. I helped Kenny Harrelson's wife, Angel, in her initial rounds of interviews. She, she was, she didn't know what to do, and we worked with her, right? This is why I've been stuck in some jail in Citrus County, convicted in a case that actually came after January 6th, but yet went to trial in order to sentence me to seven years in prison and keep me away from this case. The very judge that they're speaking of is the judge in my DC case. Yes. Judge Meta. Let me tell you some things that Judge Meta has done in my case as related to the very case that Steve Baker is talking about with Glenn Beck. Judge Mehta was asked by the DOJ to take the Jeremy Brown case. And when that question was asked, Judge Mehta said, why? And the DOJ actually submitted a request for case relation in October of 2021 to intentionally assign me to Meta's courtroom. Because of this, I, when representing myself as pro se, asked Judge Meta for specific discovery because I know what's going on here. He attempted to dispute my claims for that discovery by saying, but Mr. Brown, you're not charged in that case. Therefore, in essence, you have no right to that information. To which I responded, and this is all in transcripts. To which I responded with, Your Honor, 
I am listed as a co-conspirator, an undiagnosed conspirator in this case, the Stuart Rose et al. case, of which Kelly Meggs, Jenny Harrelson, Jessica Watkins, all the worst of the worst conspirators and seditious conspirator patsies, patsies that the government has offered up and said, these are the bad guys. I'm listed as an unindicted co-conspirator in that case. And so, therefore, Judge Meta, I would be a fool not to prepare myself for future indictments, to which Judge Meta then turns to uh, AUSA Manzo and says, Mr. Manzo, is Mr. Brown part of the Oath Keepers case? To which Mr. Manzo, a representative of the government, well, Your Honor, you see, uh, we have no intention of charging Mr. Brown as part of the September blah, blah, blah case. And I said, whoa, 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 Your Honor, I'm not asking about a specific date. I'm asking, am I part of the Oath Keepers case? So Judge Meta, re-ask the questions. Mr. Manzo, is Mr. Brown part of the Now, I know that I'm part of the Oath Keepers case because I have a recording of the FBI attempting to recruit me. I have phone call logs of the FBI calling me when I'm with all of these Oath Keepers. And I knew that I was ignored for months and months and months until I couldn't be ignored anymore. And then they approached other Oath Keepers with specific questions about me and they threatened them with indictment and destroying their lives too unless they actually give them the information they do want. So I already know that I'm part of the Oath Keepers case. But I'm trying to get them on the record as admitting that I'm not. And they did. So Mr. Manzo responds with, well, Your Honor, we don't want to uh, lock us into anything. But as of this time, we don't foresee uh, any charges coming, blah, blah, blah. Right? Okay. Later, when the government is trying to gather evidence to add to throw the spaghetti to throw against the wall against these very oath keepers, there's a couple of different pieces of evidence that they want to include. The government wants to include the fact that Je- Jessica Watkins had a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook. Well, Judge Meta says, well, no, that's not necessarily pertinent, so we're not going to allow that. They wanted to include Thomas Caldwell, a former member of the FBI's blatantly and absurd death list with actual names of election officials mysteriously, very intentionally seem to be over the top tied to a narrative of these keepers were going there to kill elected officials, right? And yet, even though it seemed that this list that was in the possession of this former FBI section chief, it seemed like it fit right into the false narrative. Judge Meta says, mm, no, we're not going to allow that piece of evidence because that might overly bias the jury. However, when the evidence from Jeremy Brown's Middle District of Florida Tampa weapons case went before Judge Meta, and the government said, Your Honor, this evidence in a trial that has not been happened yet, and thus, therefore, is not actually evidence yet, this evidence 
needs to be included against the Oath Keepers to make it seem very scary. Because, see, the things that we say are that Mr. Brown has an arsenal of weapons, and Mr. Brown had explosives, and Mr. Brown had classified documents. Well, what were the classified documents? Of? Don't worry about that. But it makes it sound like I have the underground tunnel layouts of the Capitol, right? That evidence of which was part of a totally separate, unrelated Oath Keepers, not related to the Oath Keepers, according to the prosecutor in the case, in pre-trial hearings, saying, oh, Your Honor, this is just a simple search warrant case. It has nothing to do with January 6th. Yet that evidence the government tried to introduce in the Oath Keepers case against Stuart Rhodes, Kay Hassan, Kelly Meggs, Connie Meggs, Thomas Caldwell, Jessica Watkins, all of these Oath Keepers that we're hearing about right now. And Judge Meta says, yeah, 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 you can totally include that evidence. Well, we already know that that evidence was planted by the FBI. We know, according to my trial transcript, that the FBI claims, or that the prosecutor, the DOJ claims, well, this case, these things have nothing to do with January 6th. And yet, in the arrest warrant, those things are cited as justification tied to January 6th. So which is it? But wait, there's more. Because in that same filing where Judge Mehta allows the evidence in my case, which had not even been to trial and proven as actual evidence, yet was going to be used against the Oath Keepers, Judge Mehta claims, uh, well, here's the matter of Mr. Brown, and, and uh, just by happenstance, Mr. Brown is also in front of my court. Just by happenstance? Uh, no, not happenstance. In October of 2021, the DOJ said, Your Honor, we don't want Mr. Brown to be heard by you, the same judge who we also want to hear all of the worst Oath Keeper cases. And when he asked why, they filed a motion explaining why they wanted my case in front of him. And yet now they claim, oh, Mr. Brown had nothing to do with the Cuba's case, except for when he does. And so this gets into my point that the judicial proceedings in this conspiracy, in this compartmentalized military operation, the Judicial proceedings in themselves are compartmentalized operations because, you see, in each of these cases, facts are being exposed. Crimes are being, crimes are being exposed. But guess what? They're compartmentalized by the proceedings themselves. You see, unless I was doggedly digging up and had people digging things up for me, I would not know about Dominic Pozzola's filings. I would not know about Ethan Nordine's filings. I would not know about Docket Entry 187, where the government was claiming I was an unindicted co-conspirator and using my evidence against the other Oath Keepers. Because, see, these are compartmentalized operations. And they know you're not going to look in these transcripts. And they thought Steve Baker would look at the transcripts, but he did. And what you'll find is that when you look into these transcripts, you're going to find many, many, many examples of the government lying, 
of the government breaking the law. And all of these cases should be thrown out. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. Wow. Super impactful. Incredibly scary. But we know that this is going on. Or at least a lot of us have had an inkling. I know what I saw from Jeremy's case. I know that I was following Steve Baker intently when he sat in the Oath Keepers trial. And so I've known this has been going on. But he, he is now... As uh, one of our listeners here, let me get to it. SK Venuto says, boom, we've got the receipts. Thank God we have good people investigating these criminals. Everyone must put pressure on the D.C. House and Senate. Absolutely right. Now we know we know this is happening for a fact. And Steve Baker is going to unravel this thread. And this is just one case, right? Unknown caller. This is just regarding the Oath Keepers. Can you imagine all of the An other cases? individual at all the other January six cases in which these kinds of private. things were happening. It will be recorded and maybe monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and gross miscarriage of justice. Treasonous. This free call. Press one to refuse this free call. Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. And another thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a few more points. Okay. Sorry. It just gets me so fired up because do you want to know how many defense attorneys for Oath Keepers have ever reached out to me? I'll give you a clue. Yeah. It starts with a Z. Zero. Even though I have publicly said Reach out to me. I will testify to the truth on your behalf. Whatever happens to me, I don't care. And yet not one defense attorney has ever sat down and asked me, so what is your perspective on what my client did on the, the days and weeks leading up to this? Not one. Videos. Of the testified actions of a key witness have been withheld from the defense teams. Mm -hmm. That is a clear crime. Yes. And violation. Yes. They know they have that. You don't think that the FBI had a bunch of law enforcement agents and officers who were saying, I did this and I did that. And the first thing they didn't do was say, well, let's look at that on the video. Because, see, even Steve Baker knows that, okay, well, if the event happened at 243, we can zip right to 243 in the security camera footage. Yep. Plus or minus a minute here or two. Oh, there he is. Okay, back it up a little bit. See, that right there took five minutes even though there's 44,000 hours of video it would take five minutes to find the video that they needed to back up the testimony and yet they didn't so if you have testimony why wouldn't you back it up with the video evidence well the answer is clear because they're lying but not only do they lie they know they're lying, and therefore they have to prevent you from seeing the video 
that proves they're lying, which is a violation of the executive order that makes classified information what it is. See, one of the things that you cannot do is classify evidence of a crime or classify evidence that might embarrass individuals or the government itself. You can't say that's classified because it's a recording of us lying. That's illegal. It's a violation of the executive order that establishes classification. I served in jail with an elderly man who pled guilty and received seven days as a sentence in county jail because his attorney convinced him to plead guilty and yet never demanded the evidence that that attorney had to have known existed of his client's entry into and exit from the Capitol. And so this elderly gentleman, his name was Tom, who I actually sat down and had a very long discussion with and who was basically embarrassed that he didn't know anything about all this. He figured, well, I wasn't. I did go. And if you say it was wrong, then I guess I'm guilty. He didn't know that he was part of a military and intelligence operation meant to make him a criminal. And his wife, who got 30 days because she actually smoked in the Capitol. Oh, my God. I mean, hell, how do we know she wasn't conspiring with John Sullivan, who said that he wanted to burn the mother effer down? Yeah. But I digress. He was never even told that there was video of him entering and exiting the Capitol. And guess what? That video would have confirmed exactly what he told me, which is the officers invited us in. They told us to come in. In fact, when we were trying to leave, we went to an officer and said, which way should we go out? And the officer said, well, I wouldn't go that way because in that hallway, there was riot gear police just gathering and standing around. And you want to know why Judge Meta, the same judge that is part of this investigation, same judge that oversaw all the other Oath Keeper trial and convicted them to 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, however many years. Yeah. That's the same judge that currently now is going back and forth to the DOJ, preventing me from having access to my discovery. Why? Because you may or may not know this, but my number one fan. The the number one fan of the Fusion Cell, in fact, they've never missed a single episode, is the Department of Justice. They know exactly what I'll do. In fact, I was sent the original protective order that was submitted on behalf of the DOJ to Judge Mehta. It was mailed to me, but because it took two weeks for my legal mail to get to me, the day that I received it, guess what? just enacted it. Uh, it took too long to respond. Now, of course, my response was, uh, I'm not signing this because it's a violation of my Sixth Amendment right and my First Amendment rights. So they just 
enacted the protective order without me ever signing it. You see, these protective orders are bullshit. See, the reason they require you to sign them is because they're actually waivers of your right. When you sign it, you're agreeing to whatever they say. Therefore, you can't then later claim, well, I had a Sixth Amendment right to a public trial. I had a Sixth Amendment right to examine the nature and cause of the evidence and accusations against me. I had a, a constitutional right to face my accuser. See, if you sign these protective orders, you're agreeing and therefore waiving. But they don't tell you that. So try this. How about this, Mr. Trump? Um, don't sign your gag order or don't sign your protective order and then violate it and see what happens. Because as far as I know, Jen, uh, do I talk about the evidence of my discovery? No, sir. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> talk about it all the time. I've literally read to you confidential human source documents. No, documents that they don't even want me to see. Yes, I totally do. And you know why there's not a contempt of court order against me? It's because it gives me standing to, to appeal based on the very grounds that I just told you, my Sixth Amendment and my First Amendment. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they won't now hold me in contempt, but they certainly don't want to. Why? Because it opens them up to their favorite tool that they like to use against uh, ignorant people of the law, and that is case law. Because, see, if I appeal and win, then forever and ever, amen, protective orders will be able to be fought by citing U.S. versus Brown 2023. See, it'll be case law. And so just like in Texas, the dad who they want to take his kids away and give them transgender surgery, and then they put him under a gag order talking about how he's not allowed to talk about it, and yet he talks about it, but yet they never hold him in contempt. They never file charges against him for violating the judge's order. Why? Because they know it's unconstitutional. They're just testing you to see if you have the guts to go against them. See, this is a very common thing because, see, we were going to get to some of Dominic Pozzola's things, but let me read to you a little passage here, and I wanted to read the whole thing, and maybe we'll read it another time, uh, because the attorney does a very good job of summing up the COINTELPRO program, the counterintelligence operations program of the FBI that was exposed during the church committee hearings. But here is the closing line of the paragraph. One purpose of COINTELPRO was to spread fear of the agency's lawlessness. Do you understand what I just said there? COINTELPRO's, one of its intended purposes, other than all the other stuff like spying, disruption, entrapment, illegal operations, forgery, blackmail, illegal payments, threats, illegal operations, right? You know, one even blackmailing Martin Luther King and trying to convince him to commit suicide by threatening to expose his infidelity. But see, another one of the purposes was for the FBI itself to spread fear of its own lawlessness. In other words, 
we don't care about the law. We are the law. And if you get out of line, we'll come after you. To enhance paranoia among critics of the government. Huh, sound familiar? This is from the 70s. And yet they're still doing it today. Jen, do you want to know one of the most powerful aspects of a sniper? Yes, definitely. What's that? No, I want to know what it is. Okay. Well, I was asking if you knew. Oh, no, so, sorry, I don't. One of the most powerful aspects of a sniper isn't his ability to kill you from a thousand meters away, although that is powerful. It isn't his ability to issue detailed situation reports and surveillance of a target for days and days on end, although that is powerful. But one of the most powerful aspects of sniper operations, if employed correctly, is the psychological effect on the enemy that you're out there. You see, one sniper team can cripple entire battalions, a regiment with just a few well-placed-in-time takedowns, with just a few accurate artillery barrages as a result of a sniper's reporting. The idea that those snipers are out there will literally make the enemy not go outside to piss because they don't want to be the next one. It's the same for IEDs in Iraq and Afghanistan. The fear of the IED was enough to cripple military operations to the point where when I was in Afghanistan and Kabul in 2011, they almost didn't, never even left the wire because they're like, well, I mean, this stuff's winding down. I'm not taking no chance of going out there. And I used to tell my guys, hey, they can't be everywhere all the time. So just go where they're not. But see, this is the psychological aspect. And this is the very psychological aspect that is admitted to, right, with this one line. One purpose of COINTELPRO, the FBI's COINTELPRO, was to spread fear of its own lawlessness and to enhance paranoia among critics of the government. That's exactly what you see today. Except now they have a much larger footprint technologically through the monitoring of your digital communications. And now they admit it, brazenly admit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we work with the NSA and the CIA. Ah, we're sorry we violated your Fourth Amendment rights by illegally monitoring millions of Americans. But hey, we're getting better. Last year, we only did it a few hundred thousand times. But we've looked at our own policies, and don't worry, we took care of everything. This is the nature of the enemy that we're up against. Make no mistake, your federal government, through the Department of Justice, who oversees the operations of the Federal Bureau of Intimidation, is at war with you. They are committing this war openly and brazenly, as well as covertly and clandestinely. And they are openly lying in these court proceedings, knowing that you're too lazy or ignorant 
to look and find their lives. In fact, one of these motions, they admit, oh, oh, we, we were monitoring those attorney-client communications, but they were using a system in jail, so they should have known. Come on now. What time is it? And do we have more? Or is it time to, it's time to go? Man, yeah, that was powerful, though. We or have... not. If you want to keep going, I can scream and yell all night long. <laughs> we'll save some for tomorrow. All right. Okay. Wake up, people. Yeah. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. Extremely frightening. But instead of getting scared, I'm just getting mad. And I hope all of you are too. Concerned. Mad. They are preying on, just like he said, the ignorance of the American people. The fact that they willfully, knowingly are keeping exculpatory evidence out of that courtroom, which again, we had a lot of inklings. A lot of us kind of knew that was happening, but more and more is bubbling to the surface. The truth is coming out, people. It's coming out. I'm happy that it's doing so. It can't come out fast enough. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of not just what's been going on in January 6th, but more overall about what's going on. The DHS, the FBI, the IRS, the name your three-letter agency, the CIA. This is the country that we've been living under. And when we fly that flag for the country that we thought that we were living in, and we now know what is actually going on behind the scenes, we have to start thinking about what we want this future to look like. And we have to make it so. And I will not live like this anymore now that I know all of these things. This is a very, another very powerful episode, especially uh, Steve Baker is one part. All of those things that Jeremy Brown just said are extremely important and pertinent to our world today, to our America. Please share this podcast. That's not something that I normally say. I say, uh, subscribe if you can. Give us a rumble. I appreciate it. No, I am asking you to share this podcast far and wide so that more people understand the state of affairs that we are living in in this country today because I, for one, have had enough. We need a new criminal justice system. We need what lawyers of the court. What are they called? Counselors, whatever, judges, press, media. These things need to become truthful so that we can trust, trust the process. Again, it'll be a long time before that happens. A lot more has to come out. I've seen uh, that the system has to get dismantled so that we can build it, build it back better, right? But truthfully speaking, 
build it back better. Not, not the kind that Biden's talking about. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Again, please share this far and wide. People need to know what's going on. And this is exactly the reason why I'm here on the Fusion Cell, so that Jeremy can tell everyone what's going on. He has firsthand experience, and if anybody knows, it's him. Thanks for tuning in. Give us a rumble. Subscribe if you haven't already. Please share. And everybody, stay safe. Give your loved ones as much love as you can because the next the next couple of years are going to be wild. Have a good night, everyone. See you tomorrow. World domination. Same old dream. The universe grows smaller every day. birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. It was a great